This is Amanda Pascali, and you're listening to the Cloud Watcher Podcast. Sana sa ilusión de mi suburbio 
sweet stolen treasure forever and eternity. In eternity. In eternity. Welcome, Amanda Pascali, to the Cloud What You Know podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> First off, I have to say uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, I love your mem messaging, your songs. I'm entertained by your music, by your musicality. It's just a joy to hear you sing. Thank you so much, Mo. I appreciate it. Um. So you you have this line where uh, in in your music uh, you you call it immigrant American folk music music can 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 you expand on that? Yeah. So um, when I was first branding myself as a singer songwriter, I uh, was confronted with this question of uh, what genre my music fits into. Yeah. Um, because obviously, growing up, I've been inspired by a lot of music, but especially American folk music. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that my music is authentic American folk music. Um, but at the same time, it has influences from other parts of the world. So it's not really authentically um, any one style or any one... Um, uh country's type of music but it's music that's a little bit of everywhere it's kind of this um mix of a lot of things just like i am um and so as the daughter of two immigrants it seemed very fitting to myself that i kind of just create a genre for my music that i didn't think already existed um that's why i decided to call it immigrant american folk music but isn't all music that came to america from immigrants in one way, shape or form that, that they've just claimed as their own. Yeah, yeah, I, I, unless it's a Native American music, no. then yes, I, I would agree with you. Um, so I welcome anybody to use that term, but I don't think anybody would use it because <laughs> um, there are some people that, there are some people that think, um, that they did not come from immigrants in the U.S. And uh, I, I'm not sure how that logic works, but I, I welcome anybody to use the term that they want to. Yeah, I don't see how that works at all. I mean, uh, if, if you trace your roots back to England and you came on a ship to that country, anyone else who wasn't actually there, part, part of Native American, uh, those, you know, indigenous people, people, how could you claim otherwise? Yeah, I, that's, that's a question for someone who's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not me either. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
You started on this musical journey with your self-titled EP uh, way back in 2016. So you, so you must have been just a baby then. Yeah, there were actually um, other albums before that as well. Oh. They're just... Um, I, I, I started playing music when I was 12 years old. For me, it was a way to uh, make pocket money throughout yeah. middle and high school. So um, I played in, in cover bands throughout my teenage years. And then when I was 18, I decided that I wanted to sing mostly my own songs and uh, get out there as a singer-songwriter. So when I was 18, 17 really, that's when the self-titled EP came out. And that's when my journey as Amanda Pascali, the singer-songwriter, really began. And that was a huge step to take. Or did you just see that as a natural progression of what you were wanting to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, in comparison to playing in the in the cover bands that I was playing in before, very macho rock music to earn money, the transition seemed more like, okay, I'm going to stop pretending now and I'm going to be who I actually am. I'm going to play my own music that I write that's authentically me because I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> and where did the inspiration for those songs, those initial songs on DEP come from? Oh, gee. Um, well, like with every song that I write, it starts out uh, with some kind of personal experience uh, that I've had in the instance of that EP. There were a lot of just personal teenage experiences, like coming of age experiences, um, that the songs would start out being about something that was very personal to myself, and then kind of just take on this broader meaning that is one of my my favorite things about writing songs that other people kind of just mold it to their experiences and people will ask me oh did you write this song about this because it really reminded me about this specific experience that I had or this experience that I had and I'm like no I, I really just wrote that about something that happened to me but I'm really glad that it can that it can fit to multiple different experiences that various people may have and I know that once you've written a song, it's still yours, but then it transforms and changes when the listener hears it, and then they add their memories, their feelings to it. Do you feel that uh, obviously the, the song are, the, the songs are yours, but then do, do, do they become some something else then? Um. Yeah. Like. Like. I have a song that I wrote called Over the Sea. I wrote it after I I, I watched a documentary film by a Sicilian um, filmmaker named Gianfranco Rosi. Um, I watched it at the movie theater when I, I was, I, I think I was 18 when I first saw it. Um, it was about African migrants uh, who often die trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea to get to Lampedusa, which is a, an island that is off the coast of Sicily, uh, kind of between Sicily and North Africa. And um, I wrote I wrote Over the Sea after seeing that movie. And I, I showed it to my dad after I wrote it with no explanation. And he thought that I wrote the song about him, his journey as an immigrant and, and coming to the United States when that wasn't what it was about at all. 
later on, I played the song live and I had a friend who is um, a mix of Chinese and Vietnamese uh, whose family endured a very rough uh, journey on a boat trying to get out of Vietnam. And um, she told me that she showed the song to her grandpa and he thought that it was written about his story and his journey. Um, and I think that that, <laughs> that is the pinnacle for me of writing songs, that, it, that it's something that can be molded to other people's experiences and what you said, other people's memories, that it kind of becomes something different than the original thing that it was intended to be about, the original specific experience. And can you look back at those songs now and think, uh, yeah, they still stand on their own or would, would you change them now? Uh, I think that there are some things that I would say differently um, if I were really if I were really gonna change my songs. I think I could always change my songs. I'm I'm the kind of person that takes a really long time to write songs, and I just get to a point where I have to decide that it's finished and not finished in the sense of like, it can never get better, but finished yeah. in the sense of, I'm gonna show this to people now because if I don't show them now, I may never get the chance. So yeah, I, I would change things about them, but also I'm glad that I didn't wait any longer to get them out there. And what was the process like, you know, to to get those ideas, to, to, to get those words from your, subconscious from from your head and out to the real world and then actually out there in on the internet like the songwriting process is that what you uh, mean um yeah the songwriting pro process and just 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 that whole process of being a sing 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 and get, get, getting your ideas out uh i don't know i think it for me it's really hard to start with like a blank slate so if I have an idea of a song that I want to write, it's really hard for me to start with a blank slate, probably because I'm kind of a perfectionist. And when I see this like blank canvas, I'm like, I can never fill this canvas with something beautiful. And what really like jump starts me to write a song is being able to feel like I can borrow a little bit before I start. So I don't have to just take this huge step to fill this canvas all by myself so if you listen to my songs I'm not ashamed of it at all I borrow from so many things I borrow from classical music I borrow from um, traditional world music from all over the world um, and, and I actually feel uh, really happy and interested when somebody points out that they they knew where I borrowed something from and they applaud me on it because everybody knows that artists borrow things. So I don't think that it's anything to be ashamed of. But yeah, that's that's kind of my process. I, I find something that's inspiring, that inspires me and I kind of pay an homage to it by borrowing it and then building upon that. And then from from there, you went, went on to do Still It Moves, which came out in 2018 which mm -hmm. I absolutely adore as an album. It just makes me, It's it's got so many aspects to it. It's got serious, you know, um, thoughts on, you know, 
uh, traveling and what it is to, to, to be going to, to a new land, a new life, but then the musicality to it, the, the theatricality to it, the, the way that it's done, especially on songs like Not Today and Uccellino, and it's just like, oh my God, it's just brilliant. The, the, the mandolin, the playing, your voice. Oh. I once dreamt that I was captured by purple clad and fair skinned thieves. They cut my legs when I tried to run, and they told me not to speak. They painted pictures of my family on the billboards in the streets. With weapons and with knives in hand, they called us violent and they called us weak. And I close my eyes and I start to dream and my arms become wings. And I fly off to a gold-paved paradise and I begin to
sono io, sono io, sono io To infiltrate and to destroy Siamo noi, siamo noi, siamo noi And I won't be afraid, I won't be afraid I won't be afraid, we won't be afraid To Thank you, Mo. Yeah, that that was um, 2018 that we did that album. It was December of 2018. I was in school at the time, so uh, it took a really long time to record and release that album. I think it took about a year or maybe more for us to record that. Um, and uh, my process was that I would go to school during the day, I'd go to university. I went to university in my hometown at a very, um, how do I say? A very for the people school in a, uh, in, a, in a pretty rough neighborhood in the inner city of Houston, Texas. I'd go to school during the day, drive to the studio at night, go into the recording studio and record on that album. And I had really great players play on that album. But I also did a lot of stuff myself. For example, I played the bass. I played wow. a lot of weird instruments on that album. I played the bass, the electric bass. I played this, uh, there's a giant um, giant guitar that they use in mariachi music. Um, so like in Mexican mariachi music that this recording engineer that I worked with, he kind of outfitted it to be a, an acoustic bass because the shape allowed for it to have this very deep sound, but he put a uh, bass acoustic bass strings on it. So when you play it, it plays like a bass. I played that on, on not today. You mentioned not today. So the bass sound on not today is actually this giant wow. um, mariachi uh, bass guitar thing. Um, I played the toy piano on, uh, on a song called Saturn Sao, which is on still it moves. Yeah. Um, I played the regular piano also on Still It Moves <laughs> on a song called Luigi Rossa. Um, there's a lot there, but yeah, thank you. Wow. Uh, so you've traveled a lot then, because um, from what I can see, um, being born in Queens and then moving to Texas, and now you're on this side of the world. Yeah, um, I'm really fortunate to have grown up with parents from two totally different continents. I kind of like, even when I wasn't traveling growing up, I kind of lived in many different worlds as if I would be traveling, even in my own home. Um, and my parents were always really open to learning things about all parts of the world, even parts of the world that had nothing to do with them. And they kind of just passed that interest onto me. I know it's an, an, an immense privilege for me to get to travel and, and see other parts of the world. But I think it's a privilege that e even if many Americans had the opportunity to do it, I don't think that they would necessarily choose to. 
Um, of course, I'm not talking about people that don't have the opportunity to um, financially or for other reasons, but yes, right now I'm living in uh, Palermo, Sicily, and I'm here doing a Fulbright Fellowship to translate and revitalize Sicilian folk music. So I like to travel with a purpose. I mean, traveling always has a purpose, yeah. but um, it's kind of impossible for me to just travel and uh, and not have ideas and want to pursue some kind of creative work. So that's what I'm doing here. That's fantastic. I love to love that. Travel <laughs> with a purpose. That's a, that's a joy. Um, so... In 2022, and bringing us more or less up to where we, we, we are, um, you released a messenger. And, you know, you've got a fantastic song on there, Temporary Home. Could you, could you tell, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, growing up, my, my father was always really transparent about his story coming to the United States as a refugee. Um, he's kind of an open book. So once I got to the age where I could comprehend these, or at least try to comprehend these feelings of um, uh, fear and desperation and rebellion, we started talking a lot more about his story. I started asking him a lot of questions. Um, it took longer um, to learn about my mom's story, but my dad's story is um, something that I've I've known about and been interested about ever since I was little, just because he's been more open about it. Um, he spoke out against the dictator in communist Romania in the 1980s, and was sent to a forced labor camp for two years with other so-called undesirables. Um, and then he had his citizenship confiscated from him and was sent on a plane to the United States, which was the only country that accepted him and granted him asylum. Um, so when he came to the United States, he had no citizenship from any country. He was um, what Giorgio Agamben would call the homo sacer, or the sacred person, the person who is a person and then at the same time not a person, exists and yet does not exist because he has no identity, no citizenship, no passport. Um, so there was no evidence that he had ever even been born. And um, came, to New came to New York City, um, started working in a refrigerator factory with tons of other immigrants and had really a hellish time in the United States uh, when he first arrived. No money, no connections, um, no friends. And um, so working in this refrigerator factory, he told himself, um, America is just my temporary home because once the dictatorship falls in Romania, I'll go back there and I'll have all this money that I made in America and I'll be like the guy that made it in America and my life will be wonderful. I just need to work hard now, but I'm not staying here because I can't do this for the rest of my life. And then um, he didn't end up going to, back to Romania at all. He saved up enough money from that job and borrowed a lot of money to go to school. And that's where he met my mom, also an immigrant and a rebel in her own way and fell in love with her. And I was born there in Queens, New York. 
So temporary home is about that initial period where um, he thought, yeah, America is only my temporary home. I My aim with that song was to bring to light this lesser talked about experience of what a hellish time it is for a lot of immigrants to be in a new country and be so alone. Because at least in American rhetoric, we really love these struggle to success stories of immigrants. Yeah. Um, this like self, self-made man kind of um, thing that I think is like talked about in, in a very romanticized way. And we kind of just uh, skim over the bit at the beginning where um, not everybody has this American dream that they're going to have the lawn and the huge house and the big cars. Some people are just like, this is just a temporary period of my life and America is not, not my place. So that was the inspiration for Temporary Home. I mean, your father, this story, story echoes with the stories that, that I know about my my father, father, father. When he came over to the UK, he had two pounds in his pocket, uh, went and did um, all, all the jobs that the... Uh, white British people no longer wanted to do, which is working in all the factories, all the manufacturing factories. He worked in glass factories, he worked in looms, he worked everywhere, really awful jobs. Um, but it was to, to give us uh, a better opportunity to, 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 you know, to build, build this life from the ground up and you know I'm really grateful for the fact that he did that because we without him and all the sacrifice that um, he did and my mother did um, then we would then we wouldn't be here then then I wouldn't be in this position that I am surrounded in these you know places that, that I'm in now the experiences that that I've had without those experiences yeah yeah, I I think that there's an artist inside of most people. I just think that it's a privilege to be able to do art, to make podcasts like what you're doing, to be creative, to paint, to sing, to um, do photography, to do anything creative is a privilege because I do believe that if my parents wouldn't have had to work so hard, they would have been artists as well. But because they had the stories that they did and made the sacrifices that they did, I'm able to sing now and write and be creative and not worry um, about simply staying alive. And I, I think there's a need for the state at least to recognize that you know we need artists that we need the creatives we we need to have that because otherwise you know uh, especially during this dystopian future that we're living in because where we're actually here because this is what i read about as a, as a kid didn't think i'd actually be live, 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 living in it or through it mm -hmm. um i think 
there is a need to protect artists. There is a need to protect those lights that bring light and joy to other PP people through their music, through their art, through film, through photographs. Yeah, totally agree with that. Now, um, is there more music or are you totally ensconced in the Fulbright scholarship that you're doing? Well, I personally, I, I'm, I don't get inspired when I'm not able to experience things. So ironically, the more experiences I have and the more, uh, even to the point where it becomes toxic, the more like stressed and busy I am, the more things I experience and then the more I get inspired. So actually during the period of when COVID was at its height, I didn't write much at all. And now that I'm really busy going to appointments with my field recorder, recording stories, recording songs, um, recording people's experiences, and then turning around and playing a show and uh, getting on a train to go to the other side of Sicily, I'm getting more inspired and getting ideas. And so, yes, there's a lot of music right now. And um, I... I feel like sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm living my dream, my dream life um, here, uh, revitalizing songs, playing music with my partner, um, traveling, um, speaking in my second language. Um, yeah, that's, there's a lot more music to come from this period of my life, from this chapter of my life. That's so great to hear. <laughs> um, so I, I know that you said that you borrow, borrow music, you, because cause how, how, how could you not? Because we're all sponges now, because we absorb everything. Um, but is there particular songs that still hold a a special place in your head that uh, you know that you that 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 you think oh wow that's amazing that's amazing that the first time I heard it and now they they still you know that they're still with you now yeah I mean okay everybody borrows like you said yeah you're right like the same four chords have been used like millions of times but I guess what I mean by borrowing is like I blatantly insert other songs into my songs like in scientific papers when they put in references to different other papers that yeah. other people have written um for example on still it moves the last song is called letters from the black sea um also inspired by my father's story the black sea um is right next to romania um uh, at the end of that song, there is a portion of the Russian song Katyusha uh, in Italian called Fischia il Vento. It's kind of been, it's become uh, associated with very far left politics. And um, uh, it's very much associated with like communist history from Eastern Europe. Um, and I think that it's one of the most beautiful melodies ever written. And so I kind of uh, 
weaved that into my song, the vocal melody, I weaved it into my song with the chords of the song in the first place. So just singing the melody of that song on top of the chords of my song, which is actually in a major key, but Katyusha is in a minor key. So it's this interesting kind of, um, to me in my head, it made sense um, with regards to the subject matter of the song. And musically, I kind of just shoved it in there until it fit. That's fantastic. Um, if you were uh, on a desert island, for example, what is the album or songs that you would want to keep that you've managed to grab hold of? Oh, my God. Every time that somebody asks me this, I always don't say the right thing because it's such a hard question to answer. And it's like one of those things that I don't actually realize until I'm, you know, sitting through my, my, I'm looking through my playlists and I realize, oh man, that's a really good album. Let me think. Um, you said album, right? Yeah. Um, Gee. Okay, there's a band called the Secret Sisters. Do you know them? Yes. Yeah, their album, You Don't Own Me. I really love that album. I think every song is beautiful, and there's a song for every mood. And um, in 2021, I worked for three months as a scientist in a national park in uh, the desert of California. And I lived in the fire station with the firefighters, the government firefighters for the park, because it's a desert, it gets very hot. There's this risk of, of fires. So my housing was government housing in the firehouse with all of these firefighters. It was a concrete building in the middle of the desert. So there was no Wi-Fi, no cell signal. And so I, I would drive to the Walmart that was down the hill from this area and I would download albums onto my phone so that way I could listen to them without Wi-Fi. And You Don't Own Me by The Secret Sisters was one of the albums that I downloaded and I would just listen to um, on repeat because there was always a song that fit the moment that I was in, the way that I was feeling. Um, so yeah, that would be my album that I would pick. Wow, that's amazing. Now, um, I'm sure uh, this was not going to be the easiest of conversations, but when you told your parents that you were going to be a singer, what, what was their reaction? Um, I think initially, when I first started playing, I didn't think that I was doing anything spectacular by picking up the guitar and singing with it. Yeah. But when I first did it, I did it in front of my guitar teacher. I took like three lessons of guitar with this teacher. I learned how to tune the guitar. I learned how to play like G, D and C and maybe E minor or something like that. And <laughs> then I stopped taking lessons. But on one of those times I went in and I was playing these like three chords that I knew 
And I started singing and he was like, so amazed. And he was like, we gotta make a YouTube video. We gotta put this on YouTube. So we made a YouTube video right there and it's still on my YouTube channel. It's me when I was 12 years old, playing the guitar, singing for one of the first times in front of someone. And so I was like, wow, okay, I guess this is like a special thing. And I started doing it in front of more people, including my parents and my grandma and just my family in general. And I think the moment when I saw that they were proud of me for doing what I was doing, that was the point where I was like, I guess this is my purpose in life. Like as children of immigrants, we're kind of like more attached to having a purpose for being in existence because of the sacrifices that someone before us made. Yeah. So that way we could be on this earth and be able to be doing things. So you got to make good use of that chance that you've been given. And for me, that was my purpose. And when I realized that, I saw an opportunity and I saw a platform to tell a story that I saw that hadn't been told before. That was the story of my family. And um, although my parents are immigrant parents and they really uh, want me to, uh, you know, just like the typical immigrant parents want me to have some kind of stable career that is not, um, you know, fighting with other creatives for a spotlight that is never guaranteed to you no matter how hard you work. They're very supportive of what I do and um, even, even today, I'm 25 and I call them every day and we talk and they ask me about my songs. They ask me about, um, you know, I tell them, yeah, I'm taking a train ride to Catania or Agrigento tomorrow or something. And they'll say, but bring your notebook because then you can write lyrics in it. Don't forget, you know, and they... I don't know. I don't think there was a time when I told them like, yeah, I want to be a singer when I grow up or I want to be a rock star or something. But um, I don't know. They want me to be okay. They want me to they want me to be okay and be successful and be happy with my life. So that's all I can say. That's amazing. Um, they are an inspiration. You are most definitely an inspiration. I. Uh, said to you before a uh, huge fan of your work and i can't wait to see you live in person that would be just the you know the icing on the cake you you're based in london correct yeah. okay cool yeah i've i've always want i've never been to that part of the world um so it, it would be cool to make it over there i would absolutely love to play um over there uh, it would have been easier if uh, y'all were still part of the e European oh, Union, yeah. but <laughs> don't get me started. Don't, <laughs> I'm not I, I don't want to start the conversation. I just, I was like, uh, uh, honestly, that could be a whole nother podcast about yeah. it, about that, and it and it wouldn't and it wouldn't stop. It'd be at least easily six, seven, or eight podcasts worth. Yeah, because it's the most stupidest <laughs> the world of stupid decisions honestly i seriously think people should be given an iq test before they're allowed to vote there are some decisions that you do not give the general population this is one one of them no 
definitely not. It's like, why do you think the general person is going to have an a clue about how momentous this decision was? Mm. It, it was all. It is all about politicians, corrupt politicians making money, 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 money make, making big money, uh, trying to strip the assets of what is what what is left of this country before everything else is being sold off. What else can they do? And just wrapping it all up in lies and more lies and more mm. lies. Mm. And it's like, like, well, why on earth would you stop trading with your biggest trading partner? Your biggest trading partner is not Japan, is not India, is not the United States. It's the European Union. Mm. That's where you buy and sell everything. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with freedom. Freedom from what? The democracy from what? You're already free. Yeah, I I think that <laughs> I I think that it would be worth it to travel over there just to hear British people's points of view on this issue. Um, because Right now, I'm I'm in Italy, and um, there's a new government in Italy that is very far right. Oh yeah, and um, I think it's really important that we have sensitive conversations with one another about how we feel about the direction that each of our respective countries is going into, because as an American, I often get the oh you're American. Oh, guns, like uh, domestic terrorism. And it, that's, not a, that's not a sensitive conversation. That's not even a conversation. Uh, <laughs> you're not asking me how I feel about these things. You don't yeah. want to listen. You, you just want to poke fun. And yeah. I think every country has something to poke fun about, but that's no way to have an actual conversation with anyone about anything. It's the rise of fascism, which... Um... You know, you've fought the PPP, you know, you've had two world wars about this, right? Do we really need a third? Do mm. we really need need that? But then you've got, you know, uh, our, our friends in Russia, uh, you know, um, just going, well, you, you know what? We want more. We, we, we want more. We want more land. Wow. We want more of everything, and we dis mm. we disguise it as patriotism. That's what we're yeah. going to disguise yeah. it as. Yeah, yeah. Those similar things. So we've got we've had for the last twelve years the most right wing government, mm -hmm. even becoming more right wing because they're afraid of losing their um, the voting public because how do you get people to constantly live in fear you get people yeah. to live constantly in fear because you say look at the immigrants and the immigrants the immigrant population that came that is coming to the uk is like 0 0.02 mm. Mm. it's nothing it's a fear. It's the generating the fear of people, generating the fear yeah. of the unknown. And yeah. that's what people are being... So, that's what this... 
right-wing government was so successful at. And yeah. what and it's being played out. It's being played out everywhere. It's being played out in Hungary, for for example. Yeah. Yeah. And it's being played out in France with, with Le Pen, with Marie Le Pen. Um you got all of these PPE people. Mm-hmm. And you had it when that joke of a president came into power in the States. Yeah. And then we went, hang on, we can do you one better. We can vote our own guy in, in power. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it's a what? trend. Yeah. That can't people wake up and see what's hap- happening before? Mm. Does mm-hmm. history really need to repeat itself? Yeah. Anyway, that's the fun show that we've had this afternoon. <laughs> it's it's all connected, though. It is. You know? Because how do we respond to that? We respond to that with music. Yes, yes. We respond to that with art. Yes. With cinema, with film. Mm-hmm. Everything that we can show and shine yeah. a light on, on, on this. And that's why I think it's so important that your music is out there that shines a light on this. But not just this. It's the way the way that you deliver the the the, the song, the way that it catches and worms its way into your ear. The story is there. It's you you, you don't have to you know um, as you say you know um, hit someone over the head with the with the message. You want to have that dialogue. You want to have that conversation. Right. But when people's ears and outlook on life are very closed and very narrow, what is going to reach sweet them? What can reach them is music. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you don't even have to understand the words or the mm. lyrics. It's the mm. frequency. It's the music that connects. And I'm so glad that music was there during the pandemic, during, you know, Music is there in all aspects of our life, in the hard parts of our life, the joyous parts of our life, when we want to celebrate, when we want to cry, when we want to remember, when when we because it's like having a time time machine. You you can be transported back to mm-hmm. that place with mm-hmm. those people, yeah. and I think that's why artists, you, you know we should be grateful for them and the music that they create because they bring a light and a joy to our lives. Yeah, totally in agreement with that, for sure. Uh, Amanda Pascali, thank you so, so, so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your uh, musical history. Thank you so much, Mo. Thank you for getting it. Thank you for understanding and thank you for having me.